This episode is brought to you in part by Wholehearted Love, a new book by Caleb and Stephanie Rouse. Overcome the barriers that hold you back in your relationships with God and with others and delight in feeling safe, seen, and loved with Wholehearted Love. For more information, go to Tyndale.com. Hi, I'm Ashley Hales. Welcome to the Finding Holy Podcast. Here at the Finding Holy Podcast, it is our aim to help you connect the dots between big things that matter and your everyday holy life. You'll also get to hear my guests' laundry routines because big things matter, but so does the laundry. Here's a little bit more about my guest, Sheila Wise Rowe. She is a graduate of Tufts University and Cambridge College with a master's degree in counseling psychology. For over 25 years, she has counseled abuse and trauma survivors in the United States. She's ministered to homeless and abused women and children in Johannesburg, South Africa, where she taught counseling and trauma-related courses for over a decade. She lives in the Boston area, where she is a writer, counselor, speaker, and spiritual director. Friends, this conversation was recorded several months ago, and yet the reality of racial violence and racial trauma is still very much with us. I hope that you will listen well to this gentle, kind, and hopeful conversation about what it looks like to live with trauma, with racial trauma, and how we can offer practical, rich, and kind conversations to those who need it most. Listen in to my conversation with Sheila. Friends, I'm excited to welcome to the podcast, Sheila Wise Rowe, and she is the author of the book, Healing Racial Trauma. So thanks for being with us, Sheila. Yes, I'm excited to be here. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, you're so welcome. I'm so glad we finally get to sit down. So tell us, um, maybe you could start with that article you wrote for the Boston Globe about Operation Exodus, and tell yeah. us a little bit about your own story of racial trauma, which I yeah. realize is is a big thing to share. So, um, yeah. yeah, but I'd love to start there. Yeah. So I, um, the Boston Globe article focused on a period of time when I was in starting in first grade, actually kindergarten, mm-hmm. I was bused to a white school in a white community and it was, it was called Operation Exodus. Um, I think it was coming from the, the whole Exodus story. And, yeah. And, um, and so uh, in the black community in Boston, there, the schools were really bad. There were uh, overcrowding, lack of materials, lack of desks, even seats, um, crumbling infrastructure. And so the parents were demanding that the Boston Public School Department actually provide adequate services um, mm-hmm. for the black students, and they basically refused. And so... Um, there was a law that was discovered on the books that if there was an empty seat anywhere in the city, mm-hmm. so Boston has um, different neighborhoods that uh, comprise it. Mm-hmm. If there was an empty seat, uh, you could live all the way across town, but if there was an empty seat, you had a right to, to take that seat. Mm-hmm. So Operation Exodus was born of that. And so I and um, two of my siblings were the first ones to start. Uh, We were probably about 20 of us on a bus that went Uh to um, an area not too far from where we lived, but it was a totally white community. And 
um, very working um, blue collar community. And in that school, it was, um, it was a dramatic and, and traumatic mm-hmm. experience for me um, coming from this place of being uh, around people that look like me uh, in my yeah. own community and to come to a place where it was clear I, we were not welcomed. Mm. And uh, we, uh, from the start, had issues with the teachers. I had experiences where I was accused of cheating. I, um, I would often uh, have my work um, critiqued. And, um, and, and I came away with this, just this sense of that there was something wrong with me. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that uh, I, I there were ways in which I got along with some of my peers mm-hmm. um, and then others not. Um, but there was for a child for me to right. come into that kind of environment. It really was um, it was shocking. Um, I don't think that the students knew what to do with us, and the teachers um, came with their own biases and mm-hmm. out and out racism. Um, yeah. Where there were instances um, where, you know, I was accused of tripping a student and public, you know, humiliated in front of the classroom. And, mm-hmm. and you know, often my parents would come up to the school and try to, you know, they would advocate for my behalf, on my behalf, my sister and brother as well. Mm-hmm. They experienced mm-hmm. their own set of trauma. Mm-hmm. But out of that experience, I really came away with a sense of questioning my identity as, yeah. a, as a young, a girl, a black yeah. girl. Yeah. Um, you know, questioning my my intellect, um, mm. questioning my future, mm. and and there are ways in which, like many people who experience racial trauma, and and it it varies. It's a wide range in terms of the level of experiences, um, but come away with that sense of questioning. I yeah. went from Operation Exodus to uh, the Boston uh, public schools were under court mandate to mm-hmm. uh, segregate. And mm-hmm. so um, court mandated busing. And then that that was the period where what little bit that I saw early on in that voluntary Operation Exodus program, it was now on full display. Right. So there were Molotov cocktails thrown at buses, rocks, bricks, signs that say you don't belong, uh, just swearing. It was just um, a really horrific thing to witness as a child. Um, even you know my early teens of just watching that um, and just being fearful. Yeah, um, fearful for the school that I was at. There were less issues, but I came from a family of like nine, and so my younger siblings were at all sorts of. We were all in different schools. Right, it was pretty horrific. Yeah, fights, knife fight. I mean, it was just a mess. Um, it, it just was something that it was hard to understand how people could be so cruel. Right. And so I came into my adulthood carrying that with me mm. and, and yet packing it in and not really dealing with it. Mm-hmm. Actually start to deal with it. Yeah. And, and so, so what did that look like? You kind of calling it trauma and working through it. And, you know, you even talk about generational trauma. Um, could you speak a little bit about, you know, how do we see racism as trauma? How is that a helpful lens um, for us to understand it? Yeah. So racism causes racial trauma. So I think there's a mistaken notion that racism is just this interpersonal thing. It's like, right. people, I, whatever, and that it's just between two people. But right. It's, 
And so if we haven't, like, you know, if someone who's white like me, like, doesn't feel racist, right, we can tend to think, oh, well, then I'm not racist. And so I can excuse myself from the conversation. And that's why we're having this conversation, because it's a lot more complicated than that. It's a lot more complicated (laughs) than that. And so racism is, racism is experienced, um, we talk about historical racism. Mm -hmm. And so if we go back to the enslavement of Africans, um, there's, blatant racism and racial trauma coming out of that experience that is in my family lineage Mm -hmm. and so there are ways in which that those those experiences are communicated on a um it's communicated openly and then there are ways in which it's um basically it's uh learned right um in in subtle ways and there are studies epigenetics looks at how trauma can weaken um, the DNA, and so mm-hmm. it can affect mm. our bodies and mm. our health. Yeah, and so there are definitely health disparities um, yeah. for African Americans as well as other people of color. Mm-hmm. And so that's one way. Yeah. Another one is um, systemic racism, and there's mm-hmm. a lot of conversation about who believes. Do you believe? Right. Yeah, yeah. Or not? And yeah. I just think really, I just <laughs> well, I'm I, in this conversation. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, but the real reality though is that. Um, anybody who actually looks at the data, and we're not just talking about, this is not just about looking at um, the police, um, right. you know, what's happening with, with the police killing of um, Black men and women. Right. That's one issue. But if you look at institutions, it is, the, the research is there, the data is there, and it, whether it's discrimination in housing, right. um, putting people in, you know, separating them into communities where there is environmental racism, you know, poor air quality, poor water. Flint still doesn't have water, clean, 100% clean water. Um, You have issues with medical care. We're seeing that with COVID. Um, We're we're seeing that people came early. I've I've had family members who went and did not get treated early Mm. on. Mm. And, And so... Um, and that's just one piece of it. When you look at the medical care and just the care that mm-hmm. maternity, uh, so the the rate of maternal child death in the U.S. is as high as another, like a third world country. Right. Yeah. Which is ridiculous. Yeah. Absolutely. Ridiculous. Um, and so we have the systemic part. Yeah. Uh, in housing, in medical care, public services. Employment rates, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, being able to get a loan for for a property, yeah, all yep. of those. Yeah, it's it's clear the data is there. It is known, and so there's that piece. There's another issue around public space mm-hmm. um, issues around racism, and what one person might look at as, oh, this is our history. And as a black person looking mm-hmm. at a statue yeah. or looking at the Confederate flag, there's a different meaning. Yeah, it, it is a meaning that connotes. Who's in charge? Who has power? That's what that communicates to us. Yeah. yeah. And so, um, and then issues around, um, you know, we we there are also some of us who will um, just have internalized racism, where right. um, you know there's there's a way in which there's a self hatred, or right. there's a, there's a disdain, or this kind of defensive othering, like right. I am not like that person. Right. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so we see these. Black folk propped up their videos, their whatever, their comments as, yeah. look, that person agrees with me. And right. 
Um, and it doesn't speak to the vast ex experiences of Black people in the community yeah. on the ground. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, so, it's, so that's, you know, racism is a huge thing. And all of those things yeah. can create trauma. Right. For an individual and for a community. Yeah. So what do we do with that trauma once we realize it's there? Yeah. Well, I think historically we haven't dealt with it. Right. And, uh, and so it festers and yeah. 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 And in so many cases we've been rushing to like re racial reconciliation without dealing with the trauma part. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. it's, there are two fronts. One is that uh, as a person of color, as a black American others of color, because my book focuses not just on African-Americans, but yep. a wide range, Latinx, Asian, yep. um, yeah, even a South African story, a biracial story. But we have to stop and stop doing what we've been doing, which is mm. to push it down and push it down, because we've had to function. So right. we've pushed down the the emotions. And the issue with racial trauma is that, you know, all those issues around racism, it's, it becomes a layer upon layer upon layer because it's an ongoing um, assault. Yeah, right. And it's not just a once off. And yeah. so we're carrying like this boatload of trauma yeah. and stopping and actually uh, taking the time to really look at what is that. Mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, you know, doing it with others is great. Lamenting before the Lord right. is really important of just really being brutally honest, you know, as we've seen the recent, you know, with George yeah. Floyd and yeah. others, like it's undeniable. And I, and I think that what has happened with, with his um, killing, it was that it really, and COVID, because we were all like home. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like yeah. we couldn't hide. We can't do our usual thing, like right. sports or whatever. Yeah. And so we're all seeing this at the same time. And mm. and it's so in our face that, I mean, you really would have to contort yourself to a pretzel to say that that was not okay. That right. that was okay. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. And so, so for us to actually see this, um, it's caused Black folk to go, okay, wow, this... I'm feeling all kinds of ways about what it is that I'm seeing and yeah. it's tapping into what I haven't dealt with. Yeah. And then what we're seeing for, for white folk and, and other folk is that they're, right. they're realizing like, wow, I didn't realize that. I didn't right. see it. I didn't see not only this incident, but that all of the trauma that's there. Yeah. All the trauma that's leaking out and in some instances there's rage. Yeah. And it's because... This has been compounded grief, yep. compounded trauma that hasn't been dealt with. And now yep. is a moment to actually stop and to mm -hmm. actually pay attention mm -hmm. to it mm -hmm. um, and to find those outlets to be able to share like the whole story. Um, that has been really important uh, for, for people to begin to, to unpack that. Yeah. Um, and so we start with that, with being true and, and real and looking at it. Yeah. Yeah. Looking at it with the Lord and looking at it with others. And mm -hmm. that's the starting place. Yeah. I think that's so important. Just that we have that honesty, right? To be able to actually look yeah. evil in the face. Um, yeah. 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 Um, one thing you just said in the beginning of your book, which I thought was helpful, is you talk about writing as the language of the unhealed. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's really important. I think even in just conversations I've had in my community, you know, when people are quick to talk about the looting and the violence, you know, that's kind of happened. 
not to say, I think we just have this kind of either or way of looking at things, right? You know, that that's evil. And yes, like destruction of property is wrong. But I think the way that you talk about it as this is because there's unhealed trauma. And even, you know, as I've tried to have conversations to say, it's not right, but like, can we understand it? Could we at least empathize with that, that inclination? Um, So yeah, tell us a little bit about that connection of what does unhealed trauma look like and maybe how might we work towards reconciliation um, eventually? I like how you're saying, you know, first we need to actually be honest about the trauma. Yeah, yeah. I think that the one thing about the rioting I want to say is that, you know, what the vast majority, and there have been, I think, over 200 marches here in the U.S. Yeah. There have been marches all around the world, which is yeah. really, that's, that part is absolutely remarkable. Yeah. The vast majority have been peaceful. Exactly. I want to say yeah. that yeah. because I feel like what has happened right. is the ones that haven't, they're the ones that we see in the media that that's right. highlighted and that paints a broad brush around everything that's happening. Yes. Really important moment. Yeah. And so those, the, the, the rioting and looting, sometimes it's outside people coming in. Right. Yep. 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 Um, but in some instances, we are talking about unhealed trauma. Yeah. This episode is brought to you in part by Beyond Ordinary Women Ministries, which prepares Christian women for leadership. At Bow, we believe that every woman is a leader because she influences someone. So whom do you influence? Do you mentor a woman, serve in the workplace, or do you lead a small group, teach the Bible, or even lead an entire ministry? No matter who or how many you influence, our free online resources will help equip you. Our videos, podcast episodes, and articles from experienced women leaders will encourage you and perfect your leadership skills. They offer wisdom for dealing with ministry pitfalls, current biblical issues, health for your own soul, and insights for shepherding others well. In addition, BOW offers Bible studies designed to connect women of multiple generations. They provide a challenge to both women new to the Bible and those wanting to dig deeper. Be our guest and browse all of our free resources and low-cost Bible studies at beyondordinarywomen.org. You know, when we don't have that unhealed trauma, what we have is sometimes there exhibits as rage. Sometimes it exhibits just as a real exhaustion. Mm -hmm. And and so many people, so many friends, even myself, I just felt absolutely exhausted. Yeah. Because it feels like we've been at this forever mm-hmm. and it always feels like, you know, two steps forward, one step back, and it's just been painfully slow mm-hmm. and, and, and painful to, to watch that, to actually um, see these videos. There's a vicarious trauma that we, we get mm-hmm. because we're not only watching this as this is George Floyd, somebody's son, yeah. somebody's father. Um, this is happening to him, but we, we, we tend to look at things more communally and it's, that could be my son, that could be my husband, that could be my brother. And so it's painful on that level. Mm -hmm. Um, Another consequence of um, unhealed racial trauma is silence. It's just a tip, a a shutting down. Right. Because it's the kind of packing it in and not wanting to deal with it. Mm -hmm. Um, For some it's fear. Um, and anxiety, and and some of that is legitimate mm-hmm. in terms of 
being concerned if you're a black male and you're driving, right? That what are the chances that, and this is not what are the chances that statistically of you being being killed by a police officer, but there's a huge possibility that you will be pulled over for no reason. The data is there. And not once or twice, there are people who've been pulled over hundreds of times for absolutely no reason. And so that racial profiling is something that wears on one at at a certain point. And, And there's a fear. Yeah. of having to say, okay, this is what you need to do. We've had to do that with our, our mm-hmm. son and our daughter. Like, mm-hmm. This is what you need to be aware of if you're driving in a car, if you're walking in a certain community, you have to, there are things yeah. that I need to tell my child that you don't necessarily have to tell yeah. Yeah. And um, uh, grief is another one. Um, shame. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, that's one that um, the whole, so all of these are like chapters yeah. that I deal yeah, with yeah. Um, addictions or another one yeah. that we do when trauma is unhealed right. is that we medicate ourselves right because we can't we can't deal with it so yeah. and the medication can be any forms drugs it could be sex it could be alcohol yeah um, and so there's that wide range of ways in which unhealed trauma manifests mm-hmm. Itself. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are different ways of healing in mm-hmm. uh, right those specific areas what has caused you hope as a follower of Jesus in this journey yourself and as you've walked through it with other people? Yeah. Um, you know what? I, I find that it's really interesting that the, the marches, who actually is marching. So that's different. Yeah. Um, that was not the case in the sixties and, um, that it was mostly black people who were marching. There were a few, um, white people who were, but but it was mostly black people. Yeah. Um, and and also I think people have revisionist history and they now they wax you know lyrical about <laughs> yeah. Martin Luther King. Right, the right. Yeah. He really was not liked. Right. Yeah. yeah. He was he was reviled, particularly by the church, the, the majority church, mm-hmm. you know, as this mm-hmm. agitator and he needs to do he needs to go slow and he he's moving too fast. And there were all these critiques about what he mm-hmm. was doing. So to see now that there's a whole diversity mm-hmm. out there marching in the streets, not just in the U.S., but around the world. And that's new. Yeah. And so that says to me, okay, what's going on here? Mm-hmm. I don't think things happen uh, by accident. I, yeah. I feel like, okay, Lord, what is it that you're saying? Mm-hmm. What is this moment? What are you wanting the body to do? Mm-hmm. So I believe that this is a moment where the church either steps up or it doesn't step up. Yeah. And, and there are mo- many moments along the way, and I feel that, you know, oftentimes the Lord will bring us around the same rock over and over again. <laughs> yeah. Because, yeah. you know, we don't want to deal with it. Right. And so, so we have this moment. And so do we um, take this moment to be really prayerful and to ask the Lord, you know, how am I my brother or sister's keeper? Am I, you know, in terms of yeah. caring for yeah. my brother or sister, mm-hmm. advocating for my brother or sister? Like I have that, like we, we are a part of one body. Amen. And so there's a part of the body that's hurting. Yeah. So what are we going to do about it? Yeah. So I see there are elements of the church or the body that is tending to the hurt ones. Mm-hmm. Like the Samaritan on the road, they're not coming up with excuses you know, um, who sees the, the man who's mm-hmm, battered, mm-hmm. Um, but who are saying, you know what, I, mm-hmm. I'm going to go beyond what I think 
what my political aspirate, whatever I'm going to, yeah. this person is hurting and I want to, mm. I want to meet them in the place of their pain, help to bandage their wound, listen to what mm. it is that they're saying without critiquing it through my opinions on what I think is what they should be doing or shouldn't be doing. But right. this is where this person is at. How can I minister the love and care of Jesus to this person, yeah. whether they're a believer or not a believer? Yeah. And so if we don't do it, the world's going to do it in whatever way they see fit. Mm-hmm. So we can either abdicate our role and go, you know, we're just going to be over here. Mm-hmm. We, in essence, to be right over here, a whole part of the body of Christ is laying bleeding in the street. Yeah. Yeah. Ugh. That's, yeah. Hmm. How do we begin to listen well? If we are not used to listening, where have you seen people beginning that process of listening well so that we can at least be able to say, hey, you know, the church can step up and to, yeah. like you said, pay attention to the hurting ones, regardless of, you know, without the excuses. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, I think that there are, there are a bunch of people who um, don't listen because they can't listen because no one ever listened to them. Mm. So I think that, that, that uh, that's often the, the, the case is that yeah. no one ever listened to them. So they don't, they don't have their default is not always to go to the place of, well, I need to be present and listening to the other, whoever that other is. Right. So those people, I don't know what will, will it will, they have to, they would have to deal with their own pain around the fact that they have never been listened to. Yeah. Um, I found that, that that's been very interesting that for some, some of the white people who've read the book, yeah. they've said, wow, you know, it was eye opening. It was hard. Yeah. So we're, as believers, uh, we, we do have uh, prayer mm-hmm. and really seeking the Lord about Lord, how, it, you know, my brother and sister, black brother and sister, brown brother, brother and sister are in pain. Mm-hmm. I, I don't understand that. I don't, I can't really even hear it. What is it that you are saying? Mm-hmm. You know, I think about the scripture that says taking every thought captive and making yeah. some Christ. And is that, okay, I might have a thought about this person, what they should be doing or shouldn't be doing. But if I take that captive and I go, okay, Lord, what do you say? This person is in pain. They're, they're, but they are, they are a believer. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to believers right now, but yep. they're a believer. They're in pain. Lord, what would you have me do? I'm going to take the thought captive that is judgmental, that, you know, has all the answers. Mm-hmm. I'm going to take that captive and submit it to you, Lord, and to ask you, what do you say? Mm-hmm. What is it that you want me to do to mm-hmm. this hurting person? Mm-hmm. I think that's a uh, great, you know, so great. <laughs> just in all of our interpersonal, <laughs> you know, issues too, yeah. let alone, you know, racial trauma. Oh, that, yeah, that's very good. We could be a lot kinder and gentler yeah. Yeah. and actually yes. be able to converse instead of just yell across aisles. Exactly. Yeah. Mm, that's so good. Where have you seen either your own family or, you know, people that you speak with and speak to and advise, um, grow in resilience because I think you you talk about mm. kind of all of the ways that trauma has affected particularly yeah. people of color um but that really the end goal right is is to grow into resilience to deal with our trauma to move towards reconciliation so 
Yeah. What, do, what does that look like for you? Yeah. Um, you know what? I, going through a healing process of you know, getting in touch with the pain, processing that, working through unforgiveness and any places of bitterness. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and then, you know, this whole thing of, of reconciliation and beyond that, uh, there's an expectation that if there's going to be true reconciliation, that there's an element of repair. Yeah. So it's repairing the damage. Yep. It's not just about, oh, I'm sorry. And then mm-hmm. just walk off into the sunset, <laughs> right. uh, you know, but there's, there's repair that needs to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and all of that is, is healing. Um, and, and yet at the same time, as we, as I think about racism is ongoing. Yeah. And so we've got to be proactive about what are the things that we need to, to care for our souls mm-hmm. in the midst of what might happen tomorrow. Right. Um, am I prepared? Am I, um, how is my spiritual life? You know, am I connected um, mm-hmm. to God? Mm-hmm. Um, am I uh, communicating with him in prayer and worship um, yeah. and Sabbath, yeah. you know, in those times of quiet and just meditating on scripture? Mm-hmm. I, I need to have that so that that shores me up and it strengthens mm-hmm. me in the midst of it. Mm-hmm. Um, we're, I need to take care of my physical body. I need to take care of my emotional, um, intellectual, even my work, all of mm-hmm. those areas, like holistically. Yeah. What is it that I need um, to have in place to care for, for me? Mm-hmm. Um, but I also think that, you know, resilience is built when we really have this sense of that, that God is um, Emmanuel, he's God with us. Mm-hmm. And that in, in the midst of that, he really is, He's strengthening us along the way, and that there are ways in which we need to remember mm-hmm. what God has done. And mm-hmm. it's so easy when, you know, when we're in the midst of pain to feel like nothing good has ever ever happened right. when it's not true. And so it's what is what has God done? Right. Where have we seen His hand at work? Mm-hmm. What is He doing now um, in in my life? Mm-hmm. You know, where where do I see the places of beauty of life? Um, mm-hmm. you know, what is it? What is it that he wants me to do in, in my community? Um, what does he want me to do in terms of his the future? What's the mm-hmm. calling that he has on my life? Yeah. And so as we walk in those different areas, we, we're strengthened. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and we're able to, to be stronger so that when things happen, um, you know, resilience is just bouncing back stronger than the last time. And so we're able to do that because we have these supports. We've got relational support as well. We've mm-hmm. got people, um, whether it's church, it's church community, but it's friends, it's family who really can come alongside us and support us mm-hmm. and, um, and are safe spaces for us to in places and people for us to really share when those things happen so mm-hmm. that we don't go revert back to we're going to push it down and not deal with it. Right, but it's it's fresh, and we can then bring it to them. We can bring it to the Lord and lament, and and deal with it immediately versus just festering. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's helpful for some really practical ways uh, to do that. You know, just kind of creating like this whole ecosystem um, yeah. for resilience yeah. to grow too. Exactly. Do you have any closing thoughts for our listeners? You know, particularly maybe those who are white? <laughs> mm-hmm. um, hmm, closing thoughts. I, I would just really encourage people to pray. Yeah. 
to pray and to listen, to listen yeah. to the Lord. Even if you can't listen to your <laughs> black and brown brothers and sisters, like yeah. listen and ask the Lord. Not listening to the whatever. The news. people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, the right. news and also the religious authority. Right. Whatever, who yeah. you know, they have an opinion or seem to feel like they have an ear, direct ear to the Lord. Right. Like, guess what? We all can hear. Yeah. We all can pray and we can listen. And so it is just, again, Praying and listening. Lord, what would you have me do? Mm. I love it. Yeah. yeah. And I, you know, God is God is God of justice. Mm-hmm. He's a just God. Um, and he's a loving God. That's the thing. Like he's not just, I mean, uh, and I would encourage people to like crack open that book. It's called the Bible. <laughs> yeah. Actually read those words. <laughs> yeah. Read those words. Like, look, and see like Jesus. How was Jesus? What was his character like? How did he deal with people who were like broken and bruised and battered? Yeah. Like how was he? Because yeah. we're supposed to be eventually, you know, we're being made right. into an image. So yeah. learn. Yeah. So, yes. So. Yeah. yeah. He, he, the strong words were not for the bruised and broken ones. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. May we be more like him. Whew. Yeah. That's everybody. That's, we're all on that journey. Yes. Amen. <laughs> Hopefully. Yeah. yeah. Well, tell us, Sheila, your laundry routine. I love asking the question. It's always fun to get a little peek behind, you know, all of the ideas and theological thoughts, right? To be like, what does your laundry look like? Oh, this is too funny. Only because literally we were going, you were going to be calling and we would have this conversation. Yeah, yeah. I was like, oh my gosh, you got to put a laundry, little laundry. <laughs> so I dragged yeah. down like this bag of laundry. Yeah. So and, and drag it down two flights. Oh, nice. Um, to in our house and to yeah. the laundry in the basement. Yeah. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, <laughs> my daughter is home, my from college. Yeah. My she graduated actually, and husband and nobody did. There's like laundry yeah. all over the floor. <laughs> I'm just like, really seriously. Oh. And then I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm gonna am I shoving laundry into. <laughs> into the washing machine yeah and like oh my gosh and then running back upstairs right. so that's not my normal laundry routine <laughs> but today that's what it was and normally it's done a little bit more orderly yeah and then when it's done I bring it up and I I basically dump it on the bed and promptly fold it so I don't try to have well laundry done. around that long. well done well and done everybody gets there I, I generally yell, come and get your stuff. <laughs> it's folded um, and ready. I did all of your work for you. Yes, yes. Or my daughter does the laundry. Nice. But you would like, you know, get it, get it out of here. Whenever right. I'm done. Yes. Get it put back <laughs> and orderly. I love it. Yes. yes. Oh, but what, what sounds, so do you do the laundry for like everybody in your house? Um, I, I would say it's mostly me. I mean, now that she's home, yeah, she, she helps, but I would okay. say I don't really like the way she does laundry. <laughs> <laughs> That's why my husband does our laundry because he doesn't like how I do it. So I'm like, it's fine. It's great. I don't mind not doing it. <laughs> so I'm, I'm rather like fine I'll do it right yeah and get it done correctly love it exactly right. <laughs> oh well thank you so much Sheila for being with us I feel like we get we could talk for many more times but appreciate yeah. your your own hard work of dealing with racial trauma and giving it as a gift to the church too thank you thanks for having me Friends, I hope that you enjoyed and learned something and feel like you have a practical starting place. I want to leave you with just two very small steps to take with you into your week. 
As you've listened to Sheila's wisdom, she highlighted two things for us. The first is to lament. So I would encourage you to take one of the classic lament psalms. Try reading Psalm 142. The beginning words go like this. With my voice, I cry out to the Lord. With my voice, I plead for mercy to the Lord. I pour out my complaint before him. I tell my trouble before him. When my spirit faints within me, you know my way. So maybe those beginning verses in Psalm 142 might be the form and the beginning of your utterances of lament for our nation, for our communities, for your friends who particularly are dealing with racial trauma. And the second small step is simply to practice listening. Sheila reminds us, how can we minister the love and care of Jesus for those who need it, whether or not they're believers? So one thing she even talked about is taking our thoughts captive. So that means maybe if you're in a heated argument, a heated moment, you actually pray that the Holy Spirit lives in you and he is working towards your good and for the good of others. And so asking that he would help you take your thoughts captive so that instead of always having the answer, we might learn to listen well. Ask a question of curiosity of someone that you're dialoguing with. We have a lot to lament. We need the Holy Spirit to work in us. I hope you'll be praying this week. And friends, I also wanted to give you a very, very special gift that I am offering. Because we have much to lament, not only with racial injustice, but also just we've come up on the one-year mark of the global coronavirus pandemic. And so I am offering a pandemic anniversary journal. It's nine pages. It gives you a short prayer and a few journal prompts that will help you begin to ask some questions. What do you remember? How can you bring those particular losses and those joys and those moments to God and experience his presence and his healing? I hope that it helps you. So go on over, scroll to the bottom of the show notes. There's a link directly there for your free pandemic anniversary journal. I hope it helps as you begin to lament and listen to God, your soul, and others. Thanks, friends, for being here. I appreciate this community. Make sure you let me know how that journal is helping you because big things matter, but so does the laundry. This episode was brought to you in part by Wheaton College's MA in Humanitarian and Disaster Leadership, which prepares Christian professionals to serve others faithfully and excellently. Called to help people facing disasters, human trafficking, poverty, or displacement as refugees? Visit wheaton.edu/hdl.